Thank you so much, team, for leading us this morning. If you got your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2 is where we are. We're going to be walking through verses 16 through 23. And, and as a faith family, we are walking through this letter together. And I love this letter. So Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Um, and, and I'm thinking that we're probably all in agreement that rest is essential to our lives to function, right? You can, you can go so long, but at some point, if you go and you go and you work and you work, at some point, you're going to hit a wall and you're going to need to rest. Um, as, a, as a daddy, we have four kiddos and they're kind of growing up, but I remember being in nap stage and just like seeing that and looking at how amazing that is and thinking like, hey, can we, can we kind of bring that into adult world? You know, wouldn't that be great? Okay, lunch hour, 12 to 1, but nap time, 1 to 2. Wouldn't that be great? Like that would be amazing. We understand rest is essential. And so we understand physical rest, but what we're going to walk through in this passage is it's a reminder of the importance of soul rest, soul rest. This, this church in Colossae was a growing, thriving church. Um, Epaphras was a church planter. He planted this church in Colossae. And then there were, there were the, the, the letter informs us, tells us there in the opening that they had a strong faith in Christ, says they loved one another, that they were increasing, they were bearing fruit, and they were really thriving at a church. But, but, but anytime there is a mighty work of God, you can be certain that there will be a work of the enemy as well. And he'll do everything he can to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the enemy does. The Bible describes him as a thief. And so, so here this young, thriving, growing church is, but the Bible uh, or tells us in this, in this letter that there were some pressures that were coming in from the outside. And it wasn't just pressure from the outside, it was actually pressure on the inside as well. That there were false teachers and they were trying to take captive the minds and the hearts of the believers and they were trying to hijack the gospel and replace it with a Jesus plus something theology. But what the Bible teaches us in this letter reminds us is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10, Paul says this, he says, and you have been filled in him. Some versions say you are complete in him. If there were a theme to the letter of Colossians, it is this, is that in Christ you are complete. That in Christ, when you repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ, that he equips you through the power of his Holy Spirit and the power of his word. He equips you with absolutely everything you need to become everything God has called you to be. And yet there was this pressure. There was this pressure that was coming in, that was pressuring in. And, and what it was is you can spot a false teaching um, from really, here's a major sign, kind of red flag right here, is that if they elevate man and they elevate the work of man and they demote Christ and they diminish the work of Christ. This is a telltale sign of false teaching. And that's what these false teachers were doing. Again, Jesus plus, you want a relationship with God? You got to work. You want to, you want a relationship with God? You got to follow these rules. You want a relationship with God? You got to have an experience. You want a relationship with God? You got to keep up with this, with this list of all these don't do's. 
And they were pressuring all of this in on the church. And Paul is going to encourage us as the body of Christ to be reminded of this incredible truth in that we have rest in a relationship with Christ. Soul rest comes through a relationship with Christ. So he's going to help us and he's going to walk us through and he's going to give three major warnings. And I, and I want us to be reminded that these warnings were not just a threat to the church centuries ago. They're a threat for the church today. So rest in a relationship. We're going to look at verses 16 through 17. And we're going to look at how relationship with Christ is over and above rules. He's going to warn them about legalism. Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul says this. He says, therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. Now, um, and, and you may be familiar with this, but anytime you see the word therefore in a verse, it is important to ask the question, what it is, what is it there for? What's it there for? So right before he says this verse, he actually equipped this young church with some incredible truth. And one of those incredible truths was the fact of if you are in Christ and you have a relationship with Christ, you have been forgiven all of your transgressions, all of your sins. You have been forgiven. He says this back in verse 13. It says that Jesus canceled the impayable debt that we have because of our sin and he took the legal demand. And he nailed it to the cross. And so through the finished work of Jesus in Christ, we are forgiven. We are forgiven all of our sin. And he doesn't just stop there, but he says also in verse 15 that the enemy, our enemy, Satan, demons, demonic force, demonic power, all of that has been disarmed in the cross. That's what he told us in verse 15, that he put them to shame, triumphing over them in the cross. So last week, we kind of painted a picture of the scriptures, uh, paint a picture of our enemy. They use some, 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 some word pictures that kind of help us. One, John 10, he describes the enemy as a thief, one who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so in this passage of Christ disarming the enemy through the cross, it's as if the enemy is a thief, but he has a fake gun. Okay, so he has no power over you. He's a fake. He has no power. And then over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter gives this instruction to the church. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so because of Colossians 2, verse 15, and because of the finished work of Jesus, not only does the thief have a fake gun, but the roaring lion has no teeth. He has no power over you. And so through the finished work of Jesus, you're forgiven and the enemy has no power. So he says, therefore, because of that, verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. And so the warning here is against a, a thing called legalism. Legalism is a religion of human achievement. It says that Christ's finished work on the cross is not enough. In other words, God's grace isn't enough. The work of the cross wasn't enough. You want a relationship with God? It's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus works. 
These legalists would say that they were all about one's ability to keep up with a specific diet and specific days. That's what he names in this passage, diet and days. And what these legalists were trying to do is they were trying to pressure and infiltrate this young church with this idea that if you want to have a relationship with God, you've got to follow all these rules. You've got to follow all these rules. They were trying to impose the Old Testament covenant and its dietary restrictions on these new believers in the new covenant, under the new covenant. The Bible says this in Mark 7. Listen to what Jesus says. Mark 7, verse 14. Jesus called the people to him again and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. In other words... It's not about a diet. It's not about dietary restriction. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. And so the question is, have you given your heart to God? Have you given your heart to Christ? There's this old saying, I I love it. It says, whatever's in the well comes up in the bucket. (laughs) Even Jesus said, said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, And that is what Christ is teaching us. He's like, listen, it's not about all these dietary restriction. It's about the heart. And so even then, like whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Okay, that we need to obviously be wise as believers. But listen, here's the idea is like, don't, 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 don't let them disqualify you. Don't let them judge you. That where there's mess with your head. Don't let them mess with your head. That somehow a relationship is based on rules and keeping a diet. And so it's not about diet and it's not about days. First Corinthians 8, 8 says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Paul says in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Food isn't an issue and food doesn't make one more spiritual than another. And so, so even for the church that we're guarded and we're wise with this, don't let that mess with your head. Don't get hung up on diet. Don't get hung up on days. He talks about festivals that would refer to the yearly annual festivals in Jerusalem. He says, don't, he mentions the new moon. That's the monthly celebration or festival. And then the Sabbath, that's that weekly. The Sabbath was a sign and a covenant to Israel in the Old Testament, Exodus 31. You don't see it in the New Testament. You don't see Paul challenging the young church or early believers, warning them, keep the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. Even as the body of Christ, we see in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we see the New Testament church gathered for worship on the first day of the week. That's why we gather on Sunday. It's the first day of the week. What happened on the first day of the week? They discovered the tomb was empty. And so that is why the church from as early on as the New Testament, the New Testament church gathered on the first day of the week. We gather to celebrate Easter every Sunday we gather. <laughs> All right. So it's, it's great. Like we celebrate Easter and that's important on that day. But the truth is, is that every time the New Testament church gathers on the first day of the week, we are celebrating the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus rose from the dead. And so he is saying, listen, don't let, don't let these outside influences mess with your head that it's about diet. This is about days. It's about a relationship. In verse 17, 
Paul goes on to say that these, this Old Testament law, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The shadow is not the substance. It's the substance that creates the shadow. And in this case, the substance is Jesus. Who needs the shadow when you can have the real thing? I think of a picture like this. I, I imagine like a military couple. And let's say the husband has been called away for a tour of duty. And so here's the spouse. The bride is at home. And she has this picture of her husband. And she has this picture of her husband. And she clings to this picture of her husband. She embraces this picture of her husband. Every day she looks at this picture longing for the day when she will see her husband. And then she gets a call that your husband's coming home. And it's going to be at the airport. So I want you to jump in the car, come to the airport. She goes to the airport. Her husband gets off the plane. Do you think she's clinging to a picture at this point? <laughs> Who cares about the picture, right? The real thing is here. And this is the picture. This is the encouragement. Listen, the law has been fulfilled in Christ. We have Christ. We don't need a shadow anymore. Christ has come. You can put the picture away. Jesus took care of the law for us. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. This is why he said just a few verses earlier, Colossians 2.14. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside and he nailed it to the cross. And so again, this is a warning about legalism. This is a warning about the pressure of keeping a diet in days. That this is a warning about your spirituality and your relationship resting on outward behaviors. Okay? It's about resting in a relationship. Legalism can lead to being critical. It can lead to being prideful. It can lead to be uh, finding faults in other people's and where they fall short. Just kind of looking at outside, outside behaviors. Now listen, as a believer... There are certainly spiritual disciplines as a believer and, and, and the fruit of the fact that we're in relationship will be seen. But the challenge here was they're saying, no, you can't have a relationship unless you do the outward things. It's about this legalistic heart, a man-made outward code than aligning with the heart of Jesus. And so I know even growing up, like there was kind of a, a little, not tension, but like, can Christians dance? Like, is that, is that a thing? Can Christians dance? And, and, and so uh, I would just say, yes, you know, some can, <laughs> right? Others can't. I can't, but some can. But, but there again, it's like it's kind of looking at these outward behaviors of what is not found in Scripture. And it's like, it's like putting that weight or that, that restriction on somebody else. And he's like, listen, don't let that mess with your head. That in Christ, we rest in a relationship. It's relationship over rules. We rest in His grace. How are you saved? By grace, through faith, you're saved. This is not of works, lest any man should boast. And so it's about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So it's not just relationship over rules. It's also relationship over experience. It's relationship over experience. Verse 18, the Bible says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. 
Let no one disqualify you. He's talking about mysticism. So there was the the Jewish legalism that was pressing in. Another false teaching, false religion was mysticism. Mysticism looks for an experience. And it's all about the experience in hopes of finding something real. Now, I want to be very clear. Like, nothing is wrong with experience. Like, there have been times, even in my life, times in ministry, where... By God's grace and and Him manifesting His presence, you sense God's presence and work in a mighty way. I pray for that. I pray we see that. But but the the challenge here is that as believers, we're not seeking after the experience. We're seeking God's truth. And that experience, there was this kind of twisting around. They were looking for the experience. In other words, feelings. They were looking for the feeling, looking for the feeling, looking for the feeling. And feeling was driving their life when... As believers and as people seeking the truth, we let truth be the engine and we allow feeling to follow. We allow feeling to follow. This is a dangerous mix of saying it's all about experience. And so if you haven't had an experience, then you must not be spiritual at all. Mormons would say that they know their doctrine is true because of what they would say as a burning in their bosom. That's the language they use. And so they would say that Joseph Smith, a man, had a new revelation when that angel visited and saw special tablets with special glasses. And it's true because they say there's a burning in their bosom. When the truth is, and the question we should ask is, not how does this make you feel, but rather does this align with God's word? Does this align with God's word? I love this this quote, says, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. The truth of God has always been, always will be. We need, to, we need to revolve our lives around the Word of God. Paul said this to the Galatian church in Galatians 1, verse 6. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And he says, listen, don't let them disqualify you. It's umpire language. I know we probably got some baseball fans in the house. Playoffs are happening right now. But if you're not a baseball fan, you're probably familiar. There's some umpires. There's behind home plate. There's third baseline, first baseline. And what are they doing? They're watching the lines. And they're watching to see if that ball kind of cuts over on the, on the side or, or goes out. And they're quick to say you're out or foul or whatever that might be. And what the umpire does is they disqualify you. And what Paul is reminding the young church, he's like, listen, don't let these seeking out experience and neglecting the truth of God and rising above man's man's experience over the truth and finished work of Christ. Don't let them disqualify you. Don't let them disqualify you. Christ is your reward. Teachers are going to try. False teachers are going to try to rob you. And so this mysticism would promote experience over Christ. They were trying to intimidate the young church, make them feel less than. And this is what Paul, Paul is teaching. He's like, listen, there are no such thing as second class citizens in the kingdom of God. That the ground is truly level at the foot of the cross. 
That absolutely there are people who have an intimate walk with the Lord and you see God's anointing on their lives, you see God working on their lives. And, but, but let's not be misled to think that somehow there's some higher level or hierarchy of believers. The ground truly is level at the foot of Christ, at the foot of the cross. The, the, I mean, I, I would share this too, even as a pastoral staff, ministry staff, there's nothing any different from us and, and, a, and, a, and another believer other than the calling that He's put on our lives. He's called me to be a shepherd, a pastor, but God calls people to be um, engineers or teachers or stay-at-home moms, whatever that might be. There's no kind of hierarchy here. Listen, don't be, don't be disqualified. Don't be misled. Don't be judged. It's about a relationship. Relationship over rules. We rest in His grace. Relationship over experience. We rest in His truth. I, I kind of think about tetherball. Anybody played any tetherball lately? It's a great game. Nobody, I guess. So, so it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun and I don't even know who invented tetherball. So you got this pole and there's this string and there's a ball on the end and all you're just trying to hit that ball and, and get it to wrap around that pole. And I guess you get it wrapped around the pole, you win. Well, well, here's the thing as a believer, what have we, what do we thought of our lives as being tethered with the word? Like that's, that's the picture. That we would be saturated with the truth of God's word. That we allow God's truth to rule and reign our lives. The, the feelings are great, but the feelings follow truth. We rest in truth and that we would be tethered with the word of God. So it's relationship over rules. It's relationship over experience. We rest in this truth. And then there was a third warning, relationship over bondage. Over being bound. This third warning was against the false religion of asceticism. And verse 20 says this, it says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, and asceticism and severity to the body, but listen, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, asceticism was like a close relative to legalism. Asceticism would say they would promote self-denial. They would refuse material comfort, thinking that would make them more spiritual than other people. You actually had people that would walk steps on their knees because they didn't want the comfort and neglecting the comfort of walking up steps on their feet. That there are stories of monks that would refuse to sleep laying down because they wanted to refuse themselves the comfort of laying down to sleep. They would sleep standing up. That there was one monk, I read a story about one that, that lived inside a hollow log. And the whole reason was they were trying to deny themselves and their body any sense of comfort and pleasure because this made them more spiritual. There are other stories about how they would deny themselves certain food or, or certain things. They would, they would allow themselves to, to, or they would want to put on clothes that were rough and coarse because they wanted to punish their body from feeling any sort of comfort. And so there was, this, there was this, this teaching that's like your, your flesh is evil, your body's evil, so deny and neglect yourself and you'll be more spiritual than other people. 
And the hope would be, look at how spiritual I am by looking at how I neglect all of these things in my life. And Paul says this. He says in verse 23, he said, there's no value. There's no value. And these have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's not about punishing your body. Your body's a gift from God. He tells us that as a believer, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He gifted you with that body. But these, would, these folks would punish themselves. It would all be about keeping up this list of don'ts. There it is. Don't taste. Don't handle. Don't touch. All about these things you don't do. Don't do this. But here is the encouragement for us in Christ. And that is you are free. You have died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Now, there are spiritual disciplines, and I, I, and I share that. Those are essential to the believer's life. One is fasting. And so the spiritual discipline of fasting, you neglect yourself, whether it's food for a season or, or, or a certain pleasure for a season. And the whole thing is when you have that need, that desire, you turn to God and intercede and ask for His grace and for His strength. But I want you to listen to how Jesus instructs us in fasting. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 16 and 17, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And so it's almost this pride in neglecting their flesh and wearing the rough clothes and walking upstairs on their knees that somehow would, would show the world how spiritual they are and in the process look like the most miserable person on the planet. <laughs> And can I just say, I'm just thankful that, that, that there's freedom in Christ. And we don't have to be miserable or slanted faced, just kind of bitter, angry. No, there's freedom. There's freedom in Jesus. He says, truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. He said, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That there is freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so just like Colossae, just like here, the local church in Olive Branch, that there are pressures, pressures swirl around, the pressure leans in. They say, you, you want to have a relationship with God? You got to follow all of these outward rules. You got you to have experience. Well, you haven't had an experience. Oh, you must not have a relationship with God. Or you must keep up with this list of, of all these things you don't do. Like Just kind of keep up with all of this stuff. But the Bible is so loud and clear. It's about a relationship. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about ritual. It's about a relationship. There's rest in a relationship. There's rest in His grace. There's rest in His truth. And there's rest in freedom. And the whole theme and the message of Colossians is in Christ. You are complete in Him. You feel like God's working in your heart. Like, I want to be a, I want to be a godlier friend, godlier spouse, harder worker. What, whatever that might be. Whatever. Godlier dad, whatever. Listen. In Christ. He has equipped you with everything you need to become all that he's called you to be. He really has. And so there's freedom in Christ. There's completeness in Christ. And don't allow some outward set of rule or regulation to, to, to 
blur the picture that's, what most, that's what's most important is that you have a relationship with God. And so to the believers in the house, to the believers here today, my encouragement for us is that how would we define Christianity? How would we define the fact that there's been that time in our place where we've surrendered our hearts to Christ and we are following Christ? When we describe Christianity, is it, is it more about outward things or is it about a relationship? Falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with his word, being reliant upon his spirit to be in us and through us everything we could never be on our own. That it's about a relationship with Jesus. And so God help us that we are reminded that it's about a relationship. And it's not about these other things. And I would say also this to someone who may be in the room today or listening online. That if, if somewhere along the way that, that there have been either outside voices or pressures that would say Christianity is, is this set of rules. And it's about an experience. Or it's about not doing all these things. Listen, the word of truth. The word says, listen, in Christ, through a relationship with Christ, listen, you're complete. It's about a relationship. You say, how do you have a relationship? The scripture tells us. He says that we acknowledge that we've sinned. We acknowledge that we fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you so much that he came and lived a life that we could never live. And he died a death we should have died. That he shed his precious sinless blood so that for those who repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ, they're forgiven of their sin. The word says all their trespasses. That they place him in the tomb and he rose from the dead. And the Bible says, Romans 10, 9, one of my favorite verses that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That this is how you begin a relationship with Jesus. It's not get your act together, get your life together, get all this outward stuff in line first. No, Christ says, come to me. I love this. Come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Amen. Rest is only found in him and soul rest is only found in Christ. So I want us to pray together. And as we pray for the believers in the room, my, my, my encouragement is that we would just simply examine our hearts and it would be this question. What is our relationship with Jesus look like? Not asking if you could score a hundred on a test on Bible uh, trivia. I'm just simply asking, are you devoted to Christ? Do you love his word? Do you read his word and depend on his Holy Spirit to be for you everything you're not and to live a life on mission for him and for his glory and for his name? This is what he's called us to. Have we, have we, would we define Christianity as anything else than a relationship with Jesus? He changes us from the inside out. The outside, the outside stuff comes, okay? The outside stuff comes. Spiritual discipline's important, but salvation was made available to us through the finished work on the cross, not for what we can do or what we've done. He, he finished that work.
And again, for, for anybody who doesn't have a relationship, I would appeal to you that there is no greater day than today to give your heart to Jesus. And you will find soul rest. You repent of your sin. Accept Jesus. Rest that he forgives all of your trespasses. Disarms the power of the enemy in your life. And live a life on mission and rest for him. And spend all eternity with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. God, thank you for using this great missionary apostle Paul from a Roman prison to equip and encourage this young church that was thriving, that was growing, that was increasing. And yet there were these pressures that were leaning in and they were trying to hijack the gospel. They were trying to, trying to elevate the role of man and man's work and trying to diminish Christ in the finished work of Christ's work. That these are warnings and, and, and that somehow that it got twisted and turned around that you can't have a relationship with Jesus unless you get all of these rules down pat or have that experience that somebody had somewhere or follow this list. But no, it's about resting in you and the finished work on the cross. So as believers, as believers, God, we thank you for the rest that is in you. We thank you for the rest that is in you. We thank you for the rest that we have been forgiven all of our trespasses. We thank you that the enemy has been disarmed. And so God, may we be intentional to invest in our relationship with you, through word, through prayer. And Father, I pray again for, for anybody here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would acknowledge their need for you, repent of their sin, turn from their self and sin, turn to you and accept you, King Jesus, as the Lord of their lives. You grant forgiveness, you grant salvation. God, may you be honored and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, we're going to have just a time of response. And this is however the Lord would move on your heart. We have pastors who are down front that would love the opportunity to pray over you, for you that our altar is open if you want to come and pray. And I know I've said this before, but I mean, who cares what other people think, okay? We're the church. We're the body, okay? I got a hunch that none of us have it 100% all together. Is my hunch right? I think, I think it is. And so we're all works in progress. And so if you need prayer, you want to pray, please come. And if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, come. We would love to pray over you, pray with you. And that believers, if you're, if you're looking for something to pray for, maybe not sure, pray for the lost to come to Christ. Pray for people to give their hearts and lives to Jesus. The enemy would love to take their minds captive and twist it to something that is not true when it's all about a relationship with Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not do you know about Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? He is, he, he is inviting you to come and find rest in Him. Let's give this time to Christ. I want to invite you to stand with me as we close in this time.